you would, please turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 17 today. You ever watch a deleted scene from a movie? With the advent of DVDs, many movies have started putting a bundle of of special features in their DVDs, and one of those extras that is often included is a number of scenes from the movie that didn't make the final cut. These deleted scenes can be fun to watch, but usually there are good reasons why these scenes were not included in the film. Most often the scenes are just unnecessary. They may be interesting to see, but they they do not add anything important or essential to the story, so it's fine to just ignore them. Well, our passage today can seem like one of those deleted scenes. It's interesting, but not important or essential. It's fun to read, but unnecessary. At first glance, they may, that might seem to be the case, and growing up, that is certainly what I thought of this passage. But today we're going to see the importance of this passage, important in understanding God's creation of man, important in understanding the rest of Genesis, and important in understanding how God wants you to live. So let's look at our passage And examine how important these verses really are. Genesis 2, verses 4, all the way to verse 17. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, Bedlam. An onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. 
For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Lord God, I ask that as we dive into this passage of Scripture, that you would keep us focused. That we would not be distracted by all the things that pop up in our life. That we would not be thrown off or fall asleep, but that we would stay alert Because you have something to say to us. I ask that you would help me to be accurate and to be clear. And that you would transform us all as we look at this passage from Genesis. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Now it has been a few weeks since we were last in Genesis. So let me give you a 30 second refresher. In Genesis chapter 1, we saw the sovereignty, uniqueness, and goodness of God as he spoke forth powerful words that created everything in the universe in six days. All that God made was good, but humans were especially created in the image and the likeness of God and were given the responsibility to rule over all of creation. Then on the seventh day, God rested from his work, and he blessed that seventh day and made it holy. So we have seen the big picture view of God's creation. And now in our passage today, we're going to get a zoomed in view of some aspects of that creation. And although some of this can seem a little Overlapping, we are going to see the importance of God, why God put this expansion in our Bibles. If you'd like to follow along, there's an outline of our sermon on the back table there. We start with the preface Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 7 is the preface. It says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. These verses give us an introduction to our passage and make a few preliminary statements. It is the preface to the passage. These are the generations is a common phrase throughout the book of Genesis and helps us distinguish between different sections of the book. The section is still focused primarily on the beginning of creation as it says in verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. The Lord God was the maker of all things. He is the one who created the universe out of nothing and carefully put everything together. And during God's time of creating the world, it says in verses 5 and 6, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Although Genesis chapter 1 told us that some kind of plants appeared on day three of creation. 
some other kinds of plants had not yet sprung up. For God had not brought rain to the land yet, and there was a mist, though, that had begun to water the ground. But also there was no man to work the land. Some plants needed man to cultivate them. They required man to work on the land before they could grow. These parts of creation were waiting for man to show up. They needed man to arrive. Now, you've probably heard of some modern environmentalists being called tree huggers, right? Well, creation was a man hugger. Man and the rest of creation were not enemies. In fact, creation was incomplete without man and could not flourish without man. Creation needed man. And so creation waited for man until the Lord God made Adam, which we see in our next point, the person. Chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Man did not evolve through a process of mindless and random chance, but was specially created by God. The Hebrew word for formed here is describing the work of a craftsman, God carefully and intentionally designed man. And unlike the animals, God uniquely breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Man was a physical, earthly being as he was made from the dust of the ground, but he was created in a unique way, utterly distinct from the rest of the physical realm. And God made sure that this specially created person was abundantly provided for. Which leads us to our next point, the provision, the provision. Genesis 2, verses 8 through 14. It says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedlam and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. What we see right off the bat is that God instantly provides for the man that he had formed. He planted a garden in Eden And there he put the man. And this was not one of those weird rock gardens. This garden actually had real plants. Plants that were both appealing to the eye as well as to the mouth. 
As verse 9 says, Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. There were no ugly trees or trees with bad-tasting fruit in Eden. God surrounded the man with beautiful trees that produce the most flavorful fruit. Also in the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But verse 10 also says, A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. And then in verses 11 through 14, it lists those four rivers and some things about them. And the question is that I always asked myself when I was a kid as well as this week, why in the world are these rivers listed? What's the point of this section? Well, throughout the Bible, water is always connected to life. Water is required for all life to survive, to flourish, and to grow. And Eden had its own water source available to water this beautiful garden. And this water source was so abundant that it flowed out of Eden all over to the rest of the world, as it's listed in verses 11 through 14. These rivers that Eden, the river in Eden flowed out to help bring fertility to the rest of the world. And they all have their origin, they all have their source in the river in Eden. Eden is home to the primary source of life-giving water. And that is where God puts man. You see, God is giving the very best to man. God is bountifully providing for the human he has created. And we see that same willingness to give in our next point. The pleasure and prohibition. The pleasure and Prohibition. Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God had created a perfect garden for man to enjoy. And God put man in that garden to work it and keep it. This lines up with what God had commanded back in Genesis 1.28, where God told man to subdue the earth, to have dominion over it. Man was to rule the earth and bring it under his caring control. And now God put man into the garden to begin that very endeavor as God commanded man to work it and keep it. And since this was before man's fall into sin, we see that work is not inherently bad. In fact, work is good. And humans working helps display the image of God as God himself worked to create the universe. When we work, we are showing the likeness of God as our work reflects a part of God's character. And this work 
that the first man was commanded to do would not at all be burdensome. As was mentioned, the earth had not yet been messed up by sin. In Genesis 3, God curses the ground as a consequence for sins. And it says in verses 17 through 19 that work on the earth will now be full of pain, full of difficulty, and full of obstacles. But when God commanded the first man to work in Eden, none of those things existed yet. Which meant that work was always enjoyable, always comfortable, always stress-free. So God did not tell the man to just veg out and laze around in the garden doing nothing. God put him there to work. But that work would have been a pleasure. And that pleasure was increased in verse 16, where God tells the man, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. With the one exception listed in verse 17, all the other trees were fair game. You could eat from any of them that you wanted. God is not an Ebenezer Scrooge, a stingy and miserly deity who is unwilling to to give to others. God is a giving God who is incredibly generous to mankind and He gave man plenty to eat in the garden, enough to fully satisfy Him. But with these pleasures... We see the first prohibition in the book of Genesis. The first thing God commands man not to do. He commands in verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The only thing that was forbidden to man was to eat of this special tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, there is nothing in this text that suggests that this tree had magic fruit on it, that zapped people with perfect knowledge when they ate it. Instead, this tree was a symbol that God is the one who defines good and evil. Not man. I'll say that again. This tree was a symbol that God defines good and evil. Not man. God has been shown throughout Genesis to be the creator and thus the king over all creation. Man was special, but man was not God. They were part of creation and thus they needed to submit and obey his will. So God has the authority to establish what is good and evil. He is the standard. So God was not placing a tree in in their midst that would give them the same divine knowledge of God if they ate the fruit. Instead, God was giving man the opportunity to obey him and admit that God was the one who defines what good and evil are. This was not just a a test to see if man would not fall into temptation, but was for a way for man to enjoy his relationship with God as he willingly and humbly obeyed 
and trusted in God. God was not putting this tree in the garden to force man to sin. Instead, God was providing the man with another way to worship the Creator. Another way to proclaim the greatness of God by trusting in God as the King. But the Lord God did attach a warning to this command. If the man ate the fruit of that tree, he would die. This death would be immediate, as God said, in the day that you eat of it. And the death was certain, as God said, you will surely die. Following, obeying God's word would enable man to live in worshipful obedience and joyful trust in God. And following God's word would mean life. As we come to the end of our passage, we're going to close by looking at a few things that we can learn from our passage today. So here are four implications. Number one, it helps us understand Genesis 3. Genesis 2 helps us understand Genesis 3. This helps us understand the deception of the serpent in Genesis 3, as well as better understand the bad responses by the woman, which we're going to examine in a few weeks. Genesis 2 shows us what God's word was, and Genesis 3 shows us how God's word was wrongly questioned, added to, removed, and twisted. Seeing Genesis 3 in light of Genesis 2 helps us begin to see the horrible effects of sin. As the wonderful land was messed up, work was made burdensome, and Eden was taken away from mankind. This passage in Genesis 2 is necessary if we are to fully understand what will happen in Genesis 3. Number two, it shows us the value of humans. It shows us the value of humans. In many of the ancient religions of biblical times, mankind was just an afterthought in creation. Humans were created because a god sneezed out a bunch of snot and it became a man. Or one god cut open another god and the blood spilled out and became a man. These ancient myths saw creation of man as an accident, as an afterthought. But according to our passage, mankind was specially designed and carefully crafted by God. Man was unique in all of creation. The rest of creation was in perfect harmony with man. God had a relationship with man. And God provided for man in an abundance of generous and kind ways. Humans are not on the same level as rocks and plants and animals. 
humans are not an afterthought. Our passage shows us that humans have value to God. Number three, it shows us the value of work. It shows us the value of work. Work was not a result of man's fall into sin, but was something that existed in the perfect garden of Eden, which means that work is not just a necessary evil, but is something that God wants his people to be involved in. God worked. And so we bring glory to God when we display his image by working. And eventually, when Jesus Christ returns and believers are brought into the eternal paradise, work will no longer have the pains and the difficulties and the obstacles that so often come up in this life. And believers will be able to fully enjoy and fully appreciate work no longer burdened by the effects of sin. And number four, this passage, it shows us the importance of obeying God's word. It shows us the importance of obeying God's word. God is the creator. And therefore, he always knows what is right because he himself defines what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. And so it is our responsibility to to trust and obey his word no matter what. We are not the creator. We are a part of creation. And so we must learn to humbly and follow what our creator has said. God's word must be obeyed. And this was the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus, the Son of God, walked the earth, he always lived in complete dependence on God's word. When Jesus was was tempted in the wilderness, in Matthew chapter 4, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus displayed that commitment to God's word in all areas of his life, obeying it perfectly. And because he was perfect, he was able to be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And when Jesus died to take our sin and our punishment, his perfect sacrifice was accepted by God. And Jesus rose from the dead and is willing to eternally save and transform all who turn to him alone as their Savior and as their Lord. Jesus showed us that what you do with God's word is massively important. And so if you want to be like Jesus... If you want to avoid the consequences of sin, and if you want to enjoy the blessing of obeying the Creator, then turn your attention 
to God's word. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you are there and you are not silent. I ask God that you would help all of us to be willing to live our lives in obedience to your word. That we would be living, willing to, to live in obedience because we know that it is not only right, but it is good. That it is what is ultimately beneficial for us. I thank you for what we have seen today, God. I thank you that you are a God who values us, who showed love to humanity and who continues to show love to us. We thank you, God, for what it says in your word, and I ask that you would help us to follow your word, that you would help us to see obedience to your word as as something that should be preeminent, something that should be first in our lives. We thank you so much for speaking to us today, God. In your son's name we pray. Amen.